Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. One of the challenges that we have discussed in several podcasts over the last year is the disconnect between Main Street and Wall Street. In today's discussion, I'll spend a few minutes summarizing what is most critical for us in terms of economic data, and then outline some changes in our positioning in response to the macroeconomic and market environment as we move into 2021. Let's start first with November. November was an incredibly strong month in risk markets, particularly in the equity markets. Uh, We saw the uncertainty that was related to the U.S. presidential election essentially lifted, although President Trump remains focused on attempting to overturn the results through various legal battles. We also saw continued optimism about the vaccine process and the ability of several companies to likely have significant doses of a vaccine in the marketplace by the end of the first quarter. With that came increasing confidence that a sustained economic recovery could actually come to pass in the back half of 2021, and thus investors should start to position their portfolios appropriately. The opportunities and equities, of course, are offset by the lack of opportunities in the bond market. So this anticipated improvement in economic growth and potentially an improvement or increase in inflation that we might see in the back half of next year is being compounded by this lack of opportunity in bonds. So with the strong returns in November, one of the things that we have to consider is that perhaps the normal Santa rally, which would occur in the last few weeks of December, may have already been priced into the markets through the month of November. In addition, If you think about what drives the Santa rally, in many cases, it's this rapid increase in consumer spending that occurs as a result of the Christmas holidays. And with consumers now doing a lot more of their shopping at home, there has been less hiring in the retail sector, which has driven additional discretionary income over the last few years that can be plowed into spending. And overall, it seems that with the K-shape recovery taking hold of the U.S. economy, at least, that we are likely to see some bit of disappointment as it relates to Christmas spending this season. And so for us, in looking at the last couple of weeks of this year, we would acknowledge that we may see less of a rally than we normally see at this time of year, but that doesn't in any way detract from the outlook for next year. And so what are we looking at for next year? So if we think about economic indicators that are particularly important, going back in time, it's been all about the consumer. And the two things, or or really three things technically, um, that you want to look at when you're looking at potential consumer behavior is first and foremost, consumer confidence, which is how consumers are feeling at any given time. Consumer confidence right now has been a bit choppy, not surprising given the increase in COVID-19 cases the continued uh, higher than pre-pandemic level of unemployment. And so we don't look at consumer confidence as a particular positive right now, but we do anticipate that consumer confidence will improve um, as we move through 2021. And that's because we think that employment 
is going to improve. And that should drive uh, optimism um, from people that are right now either discouraged or out of the workforce. There may be additional job openings that open up in the back half of the year, um, which will increase uh, household income and may finally put a little bit of pressure once again on wage growth. We aren't anticipating a significant increase in wage growth next year. We think it will take some time um, before labor capacity gets to a point where wages are pushed higher from an inflationary perspective. But at least we should see some stabilization in wages um, with upward pressure likely coming in 2022. The other thing to think about is manufacturing. And so manufacturing was really the weaker part of the economy, particularly here in the U.S. in 2018 and 2019. The consumer economy really helped GDP continue to uh, grow at a, at a above 2% pace. The tables have turned, however, in the last several months as the manufacturing recovery that we've seen since March and April seems to be sustaining uh, at a better clip than what we've seen on the consumer side. So particularly in areas like China, which have seen a really a rapid improvement in manufacturing, we're also seeing similar trends here in the United States and in Europe, particularly in Germany. And so although we acknowledge that with more localized lockdowns being put into place. And as I mentioned earlier, this perhaps lower level of consumer spending for the holidays, we could see some pressure on the consumer side of the economy. We do think that over the next few months, the manufacturing side of the economy will help to insulate some of that impact. And so uh, we, we certainly don't expect to have the type of weakness in GDP that we experienced in the, in the um, first and second quarters of 2020, um, we do expect there to be some impact from lower consumer spend on GDP. We think that this manufacturing um, resurgence that we've experienced will help to mitigate that impact some. The other indicator that we're really looking at is what does policy point to for 2021 and 2022? And I've already mentioned it or at least alluded to it as it relates to bonds. Um, monetary policy is going to continue to be accommodative. And so um, that's not just uh, keeping rates uh, incredibly low at zero, you know, zero, essentially zero here in the United States right now. That includes continuing some of the quantitative easing programs that are in place, bond purchases. That will be consistent both here in the United States and then across the European Central Bank, Bank of Japan, we, and uh, the Bank of England will continue to be accommodative. And so that will provide. Um, Loose credit conditions, we are unlikely to see any sort of tightening on the financial side. It also creates for corporations very little in the way of concerns around refinancing of their um, growing debt load, uh, which was a concern coming into 2020 that with the Fed likely to continue raising rates, that some of these companies would feel pressure on the on the back end of that um, that refinancing cycle. So fiscal stimulus as well, um, it should be in focus here. Uh, Although there was this anticipation, as we've talked about on these podcasts previously, of this significant stimulus that would result from a blue wave, we didn't get the blue wave. That doesn't mean that significant stimulus is not coming. And so we're um, awaiting, as, as we record this podcast, we're awaiting the 
follow up to the CARES Act will like be a smaller package, limited in scope, uh, but ahead of a larger scale st- stimulus package that's likely to be passed in the new congressional session in 2021. And that is likely to have, uh, again, some continued support for businesses and uh, individuals who've been dislocated or displaced um, by COVID-19. It's also likely to include some initiatives to kickstart growth in the U.S. economy. And so thinking about the landscape of relevant opportunities in the marketplace, it leads us to where we want to be positioned going into 2021. And there's been a lot of talk, and we've talked about this on the podcast this year as well, about this rotation from growth to value. Growth has meaningfully outperformed value over the course of the last 10 years. Much of that has been driven by uh, quote unquote technology stocks um, in various forms. And so if we look at the possibility that we could see this rotation from these growth stocks that have performed really well to the more uh, unloved or underloved areas of the stock market, areas like energy, materials, industrials, and particularly financials, um, you know, you could say that repositioning the portfolio would be to reduce your growth exposure while adding to your value exposure. And we actually think that's a bit simplistic. What we do think is going to happen is that investors will continue to drive more money from bonds, cash, gold, these stores of value, these safe haven assets that they perhaps look to earlier in the year, continue to drive their allocations away from those areas incrementally and back into risk markets. And we think that the uh, likely destination of those funds is going to be into equities. And so the question is, do you buy the equities that have done well, which essentially you'll be doing if you just plow that money into the S&P 500, or do you try to underweight the growth areas of the market? Um, that's potentially troublesome. Uh, the challenge here is that the companies that have appreciated over this period uh, have not only done so because they've been defensive in nature based on things like the cash on their balance sheet, but they've also performed very well and executed from a business perspective very well during this period. And so it's not as if a company like Microsoft is going to all of the sudden not execute well <laughs> in 2021. It's about relative opportunity and valuation. So a more nuanced approach and the approach that we're adopting going into 2021 is first and foremost to decrease our exposure incrementally to the area of the market that we think has the least amount of opportunity, which is uh, investment grade debt here in the United States. We think that there's very little opportunity given the low yield environment and the fact that um, the Fed is obviously going to remain very accommodative. Uh, the The total return opportunity in investment grade fixed income, whether it's corporate bonds or um, government bonds, uh, is going to be limited this year. Um, where we do think that there's better opportunities is obviously in stocks, as I've said. And so that's kind of the initial determination is moving away from bonds um, and into stocks. But within equities, 
we actually think the the way to toe into this cyclical trade is to add exposure to asset classes outside of the S&P 500. So rather than trying to pick and choose sectors underlying the S&P 500 or minimizing your weight to those growth sectors, uh, our view is that by decreasing exposure to the S&P 500, which even if we see a cyclical rebound here on the value side, it's going to take a while for that to transmit to the S&P 500 from a weightings perspective. Um, the, you know, the technology overweight <laughs> from a historical perspective in the S&P 500 is not going to go away overnight. And so you're still going to have that outsized exposure to those sectors if you are adding to your domestic large cap exposure. So instead, trimming that exposure somewhat and then adding to areas like small cap companies here in the United States, um, international developed equities, particularly in Europe, and emerging markets. Uh, China's economy has recovered faster than what we've seen in the US and Europe, and we think that that recovery will continue. And frankly, you know, with the outperformance of US stocks over other country stocks over the last 10 years, coincident with that outperformance of growth names, uh, we think that there are relative valuation opportunities as well. A potential kicker there would be a stable or weaker dollar, which again, if we go back to the way the Fed is thinking about its balance sheet and the likely increase in fiscal spend, there really isn't a whole lot of basis for the dollar to strengthen meaningfully. And the trade into emerging markets and international developed stocks doesn't hinge on the dollar becoming significantly weaker. A stable dollar will do just fine as a tailwind. And so for us in positioning into 2021, we've made those incremental changes in our portfolios. We've thought about it in terms of where do we want to have our overexposure? It's going to be in equities. Where do we want to add additional exposure into equities? It's not going to be into the S&P 500. We're not necessarily selling out of our S&P 500 exposure significantly. But what we are doing is thinking about it in terms of how can we add these cyclical factors without necessarily making a call on the fact that um, a company like Chevron will outperform a company like Apple um, in the coming year. And that may very well be the case, um, but we think that there's a more elegant way to to obtain that exposure rather than trying to pick and choose sectors underneath the S&P 500 mantle. With that said, overall, we're optimistic going into next year. And in our 2021 Outlook podcast, which will come in the second week of January, we'll outline at greater levels of detail our positioning for 2021. But just to give a sense of what we're looking at, in these last few weeks of the year, as we start to position for the year, I wanted to share our thoughts with you. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. Providing guidance and support as a trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and the year ahead by visiting bostonprivate.com. And if you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, 
I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're there. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.